0: Hello, and welcome back to
1: What the Flame Whispers. This is your host, Cheskino. On this podcast, I share short works of speculative fiction, any piece of writing that uses fantasy, horror, or science fiction to explore human psychology. In the spirit of the holiday season, the story for this episode is an original piece about people from different places, and even different species, coming together in harmony. Please enjoy.
0: Pandemic Roundtable Written and
1: narrated by Cesquino Brooks-DeVita Melvin shuffled a small pile of papers and moved them to the side, clearing some space on the circular table in front of him. He took a quick, deep breath and smiled pleasantly at the group assembled in the small conference room, taking care to make eye contact with each participant individually as he swept his gaze across them clockwise, so as not to show a preference toward any one person, and pausing for exactly one second as he looked at each. It was important to establish immediately at the beginning of the first session that each participant in the discussion was on equal footing with each other participant. Any sense of favoritism, real or imagined, by any of the participants might lead to that individual becoming reticent about opening up and sharing his or her true thoughts or feelings, which would limit the potential of the conversation. Good morning, everyone, Millen began. I'm very glad to see all of you here today. Let's get started with some introductions. I've read the introductory letters each of you sent me, and I believe everyone in the room knows who everyone else is. But we haven't all met formally yet. Maybe just your name, a bit about what your professional goals are, and a fun fact about you. Everyone here has an intriguing background, so I think it'll be great for each of you to start to get to know each other instead of just remembering what you might have heard in the news. I'll start, and then we can go around the table clockwise. Sound good? The participants nodded somberly. My name is Melvin, but you can call me Mel for short. Everyone else does. I've been in the mediation field for about ten years now. Went to the Peace Corps straight out of college, worked some odd jobs, thought about law school. Good thing I didn't go there. But a roommate from college gave me an introduction to one of the founders of this consulting firm, and I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with the mediation group here. Doing what I love. We're all about helping people get around obstacles in communication and come to constructive resolutions that they might not have realized were possible. And I can truly say that I've seen some very positive relationships grow out of some of the discussions we've hosted here. I'm looking forward to working with all of you. Oh, and I love that vampire show and bubble tea. Can't get enough of either. Mel folded his hands on the table and smiled around at the group again, this time counterclockwise. "'finishing with a nod to the man on his left. "'The man was middle-aged and bald, "'wearing a finely tailored suit "'that was brown like the bark of a tree, "'with a slight sheen to it. "'He wore a powder-blue shirt with a spread collar "'and a yellow necktie, woven silk, "'with occasional blue and gold stripes "'slanting diagonally down the front. "'The corner of a pale yellow handkerchief "'stuck out of his breast pocket. "'He cleared his throat, "'crossed one leg over the other, "'and looked around at the rest of the group, leaning back in his chair with his nose turned up slightly and his hands resting in his lap. "'My name is Luther,' he stated, in a commanding voice just below a baritone. "'As most of you have no doubt heard, I am the founder of a prominent company that focuses on the development of new technologies which push the envelope. "'We strive constantly to stay ahead of the curve and to apply, really to create.' Technologies in contexts in which it has conventionally been thought impossible to apply or create any form of technology, as we have known it at all. I suppose you could say that we aim to redefine what technology means. Luther frowned at his knee for a moment. And a fun fact. When I was a boy, my father used to take me fishing by a log cabin he kept out in the country. I almost drowned once when I was quite young trying to hold on to a catfish that turned out to be slightly larger than I was. I would note that I managed to get the better of the fish, which we cooked together after my father had photographed me with it. Luther turned to Mel with a slight smile, his nostrils flaring a bit as he ended his reminiscence. Mel smiled back and looked around the table, attempting to draw the others into the friendly exchange. That sounds like quite an adventure, Luther. Thank you for sharing it with us. Mel turned to nod at the being to Luther's left. Its head looked like a large, slightly heart-shaped water balloon, covered in conspicuous veins, wobbling on top of a body that was shaped like a tall, rounded pot, suitable for holding an office plant. The creature was a dull green, with a thin, sticky-looking coating covering its skin. Two bulbous black eyes protruded from its head, facing neither forward nor to the sides. Glowing white pupils shaped like some sort of undulating crop circle sat in the center of each sphere, buried well below the surface of the protruding eye. A tendril slowly extended from the vase-like body and developed into an approximation of a human hand at the end, albeit with only three fingers, and so bulbous as to look cartoonish. The hand gave a tremulous wave. An opening appeared on the face, below the eyes, and precisely on the vertical median, and a strained, wet-sounding voice came out. "'My name is Gorlock. "'I was the governor of the Tanchuan Quadrant in the galaxy you humans— "'pardon me, humans and other earthlings— "'have not yet managed to locate with your current space-faring capabilities. "'Our empire is not expansionist, "'or at least has not been so for the last several millennia, "'but we have exhausted many of the pre-existing natural resources in our galaxy, and while we have developed conflict-free means of replenishing most of them, we are not presently able to do so at a rate that is sufficient to support our civilization. Therefore, I was appointed to lead the foraging effort, traveling to other galaxies in order to harvest the elements we need, and something fun about me. I once put a blorp in my podmate's antelope when we were in our species' later rapid-development juvenile stage. Gorlok chortled, a whirring, cooing sound and its white pupils flickered. "'I'm sorry,' Gorlock continued. "'I am not aware of any words in human languages "'that would accurately convey what that signifies. "'But I am pleased to finally meet all of you. "'I hope not to have to kill any of you.' "'The hand waved again. "'Mel gave Gorlock the best smile he could muster. "'I'm sure that must have been quite an experience "'with your podmate, Gorlock. Mel offered, "'nodding uncertainly. Gorlock cooed in return. Mel turned to the entity to Gorlock's left and nodded at her, his smile softening a bit to look more natural. She nodded slowly in response. Her face appeared close to human, although her eyes were much larger than a human's and slanted up to the sides at a dramatic angle. She had a thin nose with nostrils like slits on the sides, and her lips formed a calm smile that reminded Mel of the Mona Lisa. Her ears did not extend beyond the sides of her head, which were partially covered by a long, thick mane of fine, wavy hair that was a bright red like blood from a shallow cut. The curls in her hair lined up perfectly so that they looked more like a rumpled silk sheet than like human hair. The bright red of her hair contrasted with the fleshy pink color of her skin, visible from her striking face down to her bare shoulders and arms. Below her shoulders... Her reddish, burgundy body was bloated and rotund, with two lumps like breasts where her chest would have been, and a protruding, globular belly. Her long, thin, pink arms and legs ended in elongated hands and feet, with nails that appeared to be dark blue claws. Her abdomen tapered into a thick, round tail that curled onto the floor and draped itself back up over the chair behind her, out of the way of her legs which she angled daintily to her right, in order to sit on the chair. It hadn't occurred to Mel earlier, but she and Gorlock both appeared to be unclothed. "'I have no name in the sense in which members of social species tend to assign names to themselves and one another for identification,' she said, in a mellifluous voice that seemed to echo itself. "'Among entities that still exist in my state of origin,' I am recognized for who I am without the need for introduction. I believe human scientists have failed to classify me as belonging to any particular species, which sounds accurate to me. The awareness that other beings have of me translates roughly to the term goddess in English. So, what would you like us to call you? Mel asked. Please call me goddess. Uh, okay, goddess, Mel said unsure whether it really was okay. Pardon me, Luther interjected. Goddess, you referred to your... state of origin. Might I inquire where that is? Goddess craned her long neck to look at Luther. I was referring to a state of being, Luther, not a place. Luther smiled. Of course. I apologize for interrupting. Goddess stared at the ceiling for a moment, apparently pondering her next statement. Perhaps my lack of a name seems strange to you. I have goals that are closer to your concept of professional goals, although I would instead refer to them as evolutionary goals. My desire is to create a superior being. Humans are limited in evolutionary potential. I wish to create a being that will constantly adapt and grow as life was intended to. Goddess looked down at the table and pursed her lips, then closed her eyes, placed a hand on her belly, and exhaled slowly through her nose. I don't believe that I experience fun in the same way in which the rest of you might. Sorry. However, I have experienced a certain joy. The first time I created a life-form, I felt a pervading bliss. I think you would call it euphoria. It spread throughout my consciousness, and filled my every thought for a time thereafter. I didn't understand it at first, but I feel it even now, as I create new life, each time a new being comes forth from me. I believe some humans refer to it as a calling. Creating life, especially higher life, is what I am called to do. That is both my professional goal and my fun fact. Mel smiled again, this time involuntarily. That was beautiful, Goddess. Thank you. It might not be quite the same, but my mother has described a similar feeling when she's told me about what it was like to have children. Goddess nodded with a soft smile, and Mel turned to the last remaining unintroduced participant in the session, who wore a black leather trench coat over a black turtleneck and large black sunglasses that covered much of the top half of his face. His blonde hair was slicked back with gel and looked as though it might have been hard to the touch. His mouth seemed to be fixed permanently into a wry, closed grin. Not to sound secretive, said the black-clad participant in a gravelly voice, but I'm afraid I'm not allowed to divulge my name. Employer policy, he added with a shrug. You can call me Mr. X. Ah, it would really help if you could share your real name with us, Mr. X, Mel responded. Just a first name would be wonderful. We find that it helps to establish an atmosphere of openness among mediation participants when everyone knows the names of the other people sitting at the table. Of course, we've signed a binding confidentiality agreement. Anything that you don't want us to share, including your name, doesn't go outside these walls. I appreciate that, but it's strictly classified, Mr. X stated curtly. His smile never faded, although it did become terser. Mr. X will do.
0: Mel nodded hesitantly. I understand, Mr. X.
1: Thank you for explaining. Please continue. My organization sponsors research related to artificial enhancement of the human genome. There was a long pause. Then Mel spoke up. Would you like to share some more, Mr. X? Fun fact. I once supervised the development of an animal that was capable of breathing fire. That's no longer classified,
0: although it's not widely known. Oh,
1: Mel said, briefly at a loss for words. That must have been quite a feat of... Would that be bioengineering? Mr. X nodded and smiled stiffly at the other participants. Mel turned to the center of the table and gestured with his hands as if to draw everyone closer together. So you're all here on some common ground already. There's been some press on each of you that may have been unflattering, but from what you've shared here today about yourselves and your goals, It sounds as though maybe some of the talk about you competing with each other may not have been accurate. Nods all around. Speaking of press, Luther sighed. I'm so tired of being accused of wanting to eradicate humanity. The other participants nodded and chuckled. I really don't want to kill anyone, Gorlock said. All I want is to do some mining and leave. Pardon me for being blunt, Gorlock, Mr. X spoke up. May I ask, do you usually do your mining on uninhabited planets? Gorlock made a gurgling sound and appeared to deflate a bit. I prefer to. However, some shortages have caused me to forge on planets that are inhabited by sentient life. They're still inhabited, Mr. X inquired. Gorlock's head wobbled. Some. The inhabitants of several planets I visited have been quite non-confrontational about the whole process. A few have even assisted me to extract what I need. What about the others? asked Luther. Pardon me, but given my own struggles with various people blocking my company's progress, I'm curious as to the type of resistance you've encountered. Gorlock did something that looked like nodding. Some of the species that use terrinium, in particular have been helpful. They helped me locate and extract it on their home worlds and in exchange for a share of it, I shared some advanced refinement technologies with them. Others were not so cooperative, and wanted to keep their supplies to themselves. I'd fly away when I could, but emergencies back home have occasionally prompted me to use force in order to obtain terranium from planets whose inhabitants were unwilling to trade. Force? asked Mr. X. Not fighting, strictly speaking. Nanotechnology. The supposed virus about which your news sources insist on blathering. It adapts to the target life-form and accelerates the onset of whichever diseases are most harmful to that particular species. Not a humane device, I'm afraid. But my civilization developed it a few ages ago in order to avert war with hostile species on the planets we hoped to conquer. It spares loss of life on one side, at least. I thought you said you were not expansionist, Goddess responded. Not anymore, no. Gorlok said. "'This technology was developed before that. "'It has been refined since then.' "'So if you were allowed to do some mining on Earth, "'you'd refrain from using this device on human beings?' Luther asked. "'Absolutely,' Gorlock responded. "'I'd be happy to provide mutually beneficial assistance, if I can.' "'Which elements are you looking for on Earth, Gorlock? Mr. X asked. I've detected significant amounts of taurineum in one of its purer forms, well below the surface. There is nothing else here that I need. That's not on our periodic table yet. What do you use it for? Mr. X persisted. A sound like air escaping a balloon came from Gorlok's mouth. Perhaps a similar goal to what the rest of you have specified. Self-directed evolution. Gorlok's body produced two tendrils that seemed to gesture back at the body. This is not entirely my species' natural state, Gorlock said. We have incorporated turinium into our bodies in order to enhance our physical capabilities. It is a very versatile element. I'd be curious to know how you accomplished that, said Mr. X. Perhaps if you were willing to share your knowledge with us, we could help you locate the turinium on Earth. That would be ideal, said Gorlock. It's far more efficient to adapt a planet's existing mining technology if an advanced life-form has created it, than to create it from scratch. Mr. X nodded. My organization has extensive mining operations in place around the globe. If you need to dig something up, we're your best bet. I'd like to know more about your nanotechnology, Gorlock said Luther. It must be far more advanced than ours, of course. But I'd be thrilled to learn from your millennia of experience. I'm afraid, however that I'm not entirely sure what I'd have to offer in exchange. The news media refer to your device as a kill switch. What do they mean? Gorlok responded. Ah, yes, Luther grimaced. Our device is actually intended for a much broader array of applications than that. In fact, I hope it is never used to kill. However, our funding to date has come entirely from military donors and thus they have insisted on the development of the so-called kill switch. In effect, the device accesses the host's brain and forces it to stop relaying the signals that sustain the body. Brain, heart, and lung activity is promptly shut down, and the host dies shortly after. In theory, of course, as we have never tested the device's ability in this regard. At least not on humans. But I don't understand, said Gorlock. Why are they trying to stop your research? First, because information regarding the device was leaked to the public, which has been a disaster for our public image, Luther answered. Second, because I have been adamant all along that it is capable of so much more than killing, and I must admit I have been quite resistant to their insistence on such a narrow-minded and lethal focus. For example, we have successfully increased the memory capacity and rate of acquisition of new information in a number of test hosts by flipping the right switches, so to speak, in the cerebral cortex. Mr. X cocked his head. Wasn't there some sort of standoff between you and your sponsors? You're well informed, Mr. X, responded Luther. They do claim that I threatened to unleash the device on the public, which is probably the incident to which you refer. However, I did not threaten civilian lives. I may have indicated that I would use the device on our military sponsors if they chose to shut us down in response to the leak, rather than allow us to pursue a broader or less potentially destructive range of research. It sounds like you need a new sponsor, Mr. X said to Luther. Your device intrigues me. Let's talk it over some more. But I believe that you and I can do wonders applying our research together. Your nano device, paired with our current initiatives and I assure you, you would need no other funding. Luther smiled. I am thrilled by your proposition, Mr. X. Please let us consider this partnership in earnest. Gorlock spoke up. I'm interested in your device as well, Luther. You display remarkable ingenuity. While I would hope not to have to use it again, a simple kill switch would be much more efficient and humane than the method our nanodevice currently employs. I'd be glad to help you update the rest of your nanotechnology in exchange. Splendid, Luther answered with a smile. I do hope you will never have to use it, but I'm afraid I can't pass up the opportunity to make several leaps and bounds all at once by emulating your engineering. Mel, who had been staying quiet in order to avoid disrupting the flow of the conversation, looked at Goddess, who had been staring quietly at her belly for some time now. Goddess, is there something you'd like to add? Mel asked, in an inviting tone. All this talk of self-directed evolution, Goddess said slowly. I've never thought of it that way. It's always been so... spontaneous with me and my children. She looked up at the other participants. Do you think your... technology... could augment the process for my kind as well? the turinium, and Devices, Goddess, Mr. X answered first. I would be thrilled to work with you. I am absolutely confident that we could make miracles together. I'm sure with Luther and Gorlock here working with us, we could go beyond what even you have imagined. Goddess stared at Mr. X for a few moments, her face still and her eyes searching, and then smiled. Very well. I would like to see what you can do. And And Gorlok, she said, turning back to her right, I know what lies beneath the surface of this planet better than anyone. My children and I can help you locate the terrinium you need, if you will show us how to use it. Although I cannot extract it for you, at least not in my present form. I will defer to Mr. X at that stage. Although I must request that the extraction be undertaken in a way that will be minimally disruptive to the ether. Gorlock made what appeared to be a small, unstable
0: bow. It were to be an honor. The ether?
1: All three humans asked at once. My home. The bridge through which I came into this world. Although it would not be accurate to say that I was created in the ether. Ether? Mr. X's voice trailed off as he stroked his chin. There was a brief pause in the conversation as the participants leaned back in their chairs and considered their exchange. So, on something of a side note, it really sounds to me like none of you actually want to destroy the world, or even the human race, is that right? Mel eventually offered. The participants nodded slowly and looked around at each other and Mel. I have to admit I'm awfully relieved to hear that, Mel said with a laugh. But it sounds like there's some great potential for future collaboration between all four of you, if I've understood correctly. More nods. That's fantastic. Well, let's take a short break for now, and then maybe we can start some breakout sessions, if you think it would be helpful. And really, you've all been great. Sometimes it's difficult to inspire people to open up in these initial sessions, but I barely had to do anything today. Just got you together in a room, and you did the rest. I really appreciate all of you agreeing to come and give mediation a shot with us today. I'm looking forward to seeing what you produce together, and again, nothing that is said here leaves these walls unless you instruct me otherwise. Mel stood up and walked around the table, shaking hands with the roundtable participants and making small talk about their outfits, homeworlds, and the difficulty of finding parking, although it turned out that Mel was the only one who had brought a
0: car to park. Thank you for listening to
1: this episode of What's the Flame Whispers. I'll bring you a new short work of speculative fiction on a monthly basis. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Facebook at BlackfireTiger. And if you like playing with words, check out my game, Logophiles Delight, available on iPhone and iPad. This is Cheskino, and I'll catch you next time on What the Flame Whispers.